morning. In my church, we have a tradition of standing when the gospel is read because one pastor said we're waiting for our marching orders. So if you would join me as you are able and willing to stand as I read from John. This is John from the second chapter, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is it that you bring it to me? What concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. But his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward said to the bride, called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. Just a great passage. <laughs> but you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you to Shannon for inviting me today. Thank you, they're not there, for the beautiful music, for the prayers, for everything today in worship. Um, I am going to tell a couple of stories as I preach, and they're about the people I brought with me, so I want you to see them. That's my husband, Steve, and my mother, Carol Brown. I usually tell stories about my kids, <laughs> um, but today they're stories about them. Uh, before we start, though, would you pray with me? Creating, loving, sustaining God, we wait upon you today. It's not always easy, and yet here we are, and we wait, and we listen for you. God, I ask that the words I say may deliver the message you want these people, all of us, to hear, and if they don't, that you would move around me so that your message is heard today among us. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Second grade was a challenge for me. I always liked school, before that and after that. I always did well in school. But there was something about second grade that was just difficult, especially math. And now she knows the story I'm going to tell. Anyone who knows me knows that I like math. I like how statistics can describe the reality of something, how algebra makes numbers dance around the equal sign, and how geometric proofs are just logic puzzles. I love math, but in second grade, math was my nemesis. My second grade math teacher, or second grade teacher, didn't do much to help. She didn't provide much instruction, as I remember. We spent the time in small groups. They were called centers. I don't remember, know if you all remember those or not. We worked on assignments on our own and with a limited amount of time to complete them, and I wasn't getting it. I think I expected that I wouldn't understand it. My expectations of myself snowballed into not believing in my own ability to do it. 
until one day my mom sent me to school with this little box. And inside this little box were little white plastic sticks, flat sticks, um, to help me with addition and subtraction. And there was also in the box a note from my mom, and it read, Kimberly, she's the only one who calls me Kimberly, Kimberly can do her math. Such a simple little note, but it told me that her expectations were different from mine. She believed that I could do it. She was expecting my success. Her faith and confidence in my ability made a difference. Once in a sermon, I heard the pastor say, Mary was expecting. He was referring to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and he meant it to mean that she was pregnant, but she was expecting more than a baby. So think about Mary. She was a young Jewish girl, maybe from a poor family. She might be the last person you or I would choose to be the mother of God, the mother of Jesus. Um, to have a part in the God's plan of redemption. And I imagine she was the last person she thought would have a part in God's redeeming plan. And yet, God chose her. The Spirit of God came over her, and she conceived the Son of God. I have to believe when that realization sunk in that her expectations soared. If God can do that, God can do anything. If you read the Magnificat, which is the song that Mary sung when she was visiting with Elizabeth, her cousin, you can see what she was now expecting. God will scatter the proud, bring down the powerful, lift up the lowly, fill the hungry with good things, and God will keep his promises. Mary was expecting. So fast forward to Jesus as an adult. He and Mary, along with the disciples, are attending a wedding in Cana. The host runs out of wine for his guests, which was a humiliating hospitality issue. Now, we wouldn't get it, but they got it. To us, it may not seem like a big deal, but William Barclay explains the essential nature of wine in Jesus' society. Rabbis say, without wine, there is no joy. Mary tells Jesus the situation, and she instructs him to help, and the others to do whatever he says. Did she know she was asking for a miracle? Did she know his actions would be a sign of his coming glory? I don't know, but she had a problem, and she expected him to solve it. Even though he questions the timing and the validity of her request, he is moved by her expectations. The stone water jars in the passage were used for Jewish rites of purification. They were large, and they, they each held 20 to 30 gallons of liquid, and there were six of them. In the Bible, the number seven is a number of perfection, but six isn't quite that. Um, seven is perfect and complete, but this is less perfect, not complete. The jars are filled with water, water which is not what is needed at the wedding. Through the miraculous act of Jesus, the water is turned into wine. If I do my math, and I can do my math, um, I would find out that, that my pages are out of order. There we go. That there are 120 to 180 gallons of wine. I can't do math in my head. I need the paper. Much, much more than what was needed an abundant amount of wine. And it is excellent wine, better than anything that's been offered before. Moved by Mary's expectations, Jesus takes what is imperfect and transforms it into something perfect and abundant. 
As a result, he gives a sign of who he is and reveals his glory to those who were watching and paying attention. Mary was expecting. What was she? What are we expecting? We say we believe, but does our faith impact our actions? What can we expect from God? What difference will that make in our lives and in the world? Many years ago, and I remember many years ago because second grade was a long time ago, Nicole Mullins released a song inspired by the beautiful poetry in Job. This poetry is after all the friends are bothering him. This is at the end when he and God are having a conversation. It's the beautiful part of Job. Listen to these words. Who taught the sun where to stand in the morning? And who told the oceans to only come this far? And who showed the moon where to hide till evening? Whose words alone can catch a falling star? Her opening verse sounds very much like God's conversation with Job, and I love that last line. God's words can catch a falling star. We can expect God to be powerful, to continue to be the creator of the universe. We can depend on God's ability. So what else? One of the lectionary readings for today is Psalm 40, and it was the basis of our call to worship this morning. Verses 2 to 3 say, He drew me up from the desolate pit, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. We are not forgotten. Even when we feel as if we are in a pit, God comes. God will not desert us because God is involved in our lives. We can't expect it. So we can depend on God's ability, and God is involved in our lives, so what else? What is one of the most important expectations we can have of God? Shannon talked about it with the children. Listen to this passage from 1 John, verse, 1 John chapter 4. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This God, who continues to reveal himself to us through Christ and every day, this God, our God, loves us. We can expect it. Nicole Mullins goes on to sing, I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. Let all creation testify. Let this life within me cry. I know my Redeemer lives. Often this Often in church, and we did it today, we stand up and proclaim what we believe. The words of the Apostles' Creed, lift me up and strengthen me even as I declare them. We say what we believe, but do we believe what we say? The God who created the universe, who set the stars in motion, who twisted our DNA into order, the God who imagined us into existence, and who spoke our lives into reality. This God is our God. He loves us with an abundance we cannot even imagine and is committed to us through promises God will never break. It is our hope. It is our foundation. And I'm not talking about wishes, like I wish it wouldn't snow tomorrow, which I wish it wouldn't snow tomorrow, but I am talking instead about hope, that certain deep, assurance and knowledge. 
we can't expect God to be God. So what difference does that expectation make in our actions and in our life? In October of 2005, God got busy in my life. That month, I was invited by the lay leader at the church at that time to preach the sermon for our church for Laity Sunday. I had never done anything like that before. In fact, at the time, I wouldn't call it preaching. I called it giving a talk because that was a little less intimidating. I call it preaching now. In the preparation for that sermon, I learned that God will be involved in whatever I am doing in obedience to God. If God wants me to prepare and preach a sermon and I say yes, then God will be there. I will not be doing it on my own. Later that month, I went on my Emmaus walk. A walk to Emmaus is a three-day experience spent close to God, filled with laughter and worship and saturated with the presence of God. During those three days, I learned that God's love is immense and that I needed to trust and believe in it so that I could share it with others. After that month, what had been words of belief became actions of faith. I talk about God more. I take more risks that I wouldn't have taken before. My life is different. I do not mean to imply that I'm finished <laughs> because I'm not. And God is not. But I have a hope, an expectation in him that I never had before. Now, if you ask me what great thing I know, I will say, I know that my Redeemer lives. Even as I tell you my own story, I know that there are bigger, better examples of God at work in response to our expectations. Consider this one. 94 years ago today, a son was born to an African-American Baptist minister and his wife in Atlanta, Georgia. He was born into a society that considered discrimination based on the color of skin to not only be acceptable, but inevitable. He was born 67 years after Lincoln declared that all persons held as slaves within, states, within said designated states and parts of states are, henceforth, shall be free. He was born in a time when our country had stated what it believed, but had not yet begun to believe what had been proclaimed. He was born in a time when I imagined the situation seemed hopeless. And yet Martin Luther King Jr. had expectations of his God. He believed that God was powerful, loved him with an intensity that he couldn't even understand and could never explain, and that God would keep his promises. He believed that his God would turn water, could turn water into wine, scatter the proud, bring down the powerful, lift up the lowly, and fill the hungry with good things. So he stood up, and he said so. 100 years after Lincoln declared freedom, Martin Luther King Jr. stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. He had expectations of his God. Later in the speech, he said, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places shall be made plain, and the crooked places shall be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. He said, this is our hope. He stood up and acted on his hope in God, expecting great change in what was a hopeless situation. He stood up and declared what he believed over 2,500 times 
across more than six million miles. He stood up and others stood up with him, protesting the hopeless situation of our country and declaring that it should and must change. If Martin Luther King Jr. or any of the thousands of men and women who stood with him had been asked what great thing they knew, I imagine they would have said, I know my Redeemer lives. They said it with their voices and they said it with their actions. What great thing do you know? Are you expecting? Do your actions reflect your expectations? Do you spend any time in committee meetings in your church? I do. Sometimes even in those meetings, the problems of the church can seem insurmountable. Instead of facing them, we end up spending an hour talking about how to get the tablecloths clean or how to prevent children from spilling juice on the rug. Ask me how I know. Or we spend time bickering with each other, maybe out of fear or misplaced anger. Or we just do nothing and we ignore the big problems. I wonder sometimes if what we actually don't do is what we need to be doing. We need to start expecting. We need to bring our stated faith in God to the meeting, to the problem, to the anger and the fear. And we need to start expecting that God will be at work. And then we need to join the creator in action. Consider this. And I looked these stats up because I love stats. I love numbers. I looked these stats up um, this week, so they're current. In West Virginia, 20% of children live in poverty. And that number is disproportionately large for children of color. 45% of black children live in poverty. Over 10% of babies are born with low birth weight. And according to the CDC, West Virginia has the nation's highest rate of babies born dependent on drugs, almost six times the national average. Six times. In our schools, 55% of students are approved for free or reduced lunch. Only 22% of fourth graders and 22% of eighth graders can read at a proficient level for their age. Children who live in poverty are more likely to have children outside of marriage, to be arrested, to have severe health problems. What can we do about that kind of darkness? A group of United Methodist women in my church, and I believe United Methodist women are powerful. <laughs> this group was called the Lydia Circle, and they heard these statistics. They had teachers in their group, and those teachers told them that some of the students approved for free lunches in their schools went home every weekend and didn't eat again until Monday because school food was their only food. These women stopped focusing on their dwindling numbers because fewer and fewer women were coming to the meetings. They stopped worrying about their increasing age because if we're lucky, our age goes up. And they stopped worrying about their busy schedules. They stopped worrying about what they could not do. And they started backpack ministry. The rest of the church saw what was happening and they joined in too. Each week, church members pack a weekend's worth of food in these really large plastic bags. That means a lot of food. They deliver the bags to neighborhoods, a neighborhood school where the bags are placed in the backpacks of specific students at the school. Each weekend, every weekend, these students have something to eat. It's not every child in the world, but it is some children. They, those children, are no longer hungry. When they first started the ministry, they were frightened that they wouldn't have enough help or enough money or enough food to make it all work. But they also had expectations. They expected God to be at work, and God has been at work. They started with 10 students, 
And because they kept expecting God to be at work, every semester they added more students. Now there are 40. And with their faith in God's leading, I expect it to go up and up. I expect that the number of students who are no longer hungry on the weekends will continue to grow and grow. Our problems are large. They can be insurmountable. Not just seem that way, but be that way. They are problems and issues in life that are unsolvable by us, that are impossible. And yet, ask us what great thing we know. We know our Redeemer lives. Carcaretta wrote, God can do everything and I can do nothing. But if I offer this nothing to prayer in God, everything becomes possible in me. When our children were young, they would break a toy and get upset. And Steve would say to them, before you panic, bring it to me. Give me a chance. Let me see if I can fix it. At the wedding in Cana, Mary didn't know what Jesus would do. She just brought the problem and her high expectations to him and trusted him to fix it. We don't have to know the solutions. We just have to trust and obey. When we do, God will take that which is flawed and imperfect, and that might be you and it might be me, and God will perform miracles, not only doing the impossible, but doing it in a way that blesses all of us with grace and abundance. God will turn our impure water into excellent wine. God will lift up the downtrodden, bring down the powerful, turn a young, poor girl into the mother of the Son of God. God will feed the hungry children and will set the captives free. God will transform your life and mine into lives of joy. When we reach out our hands, God will take them and we'll do what we cannot even imagine. We should be expecting it. Do you not only say what you believe, but do you believe what you say? What great thing do you know? Amen.